Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the 24th episode of The First Exchange with me, your host, Lydia Daydal, and we are back for 2020, first episode of the new year. Uh, before I introduce uh, the first guest of the year, uh, let me just say thank you very much to everyone for your continued love, messages, texts, Twitter, tweets, the whole lot, everything um, about The First Exchange. I am loving hearing that you guys are loving the podcast um so thank you very much if you are on spotify hit us a follow if you're on itunes hit us a subscribe review it like the facebook like the twitter page um because all of it goes towards helping us to build the podcast and we've got loads of exciting things that we want to do this year and um it won't be possible without you guys so give us give us a hand getting getting this out there um, but without further ado, um, very special guest on the podcast. Um, we were meant to get him for the last one uh, um, just before Christmas, but he had his Christmas party, so he couldn't make it in. He had the flu as well, so um, we'll leave him off the hook. But delighted he was able to come in and um, really special that he was able to be our first guest as well for the new year. We had none other than Paul Allwright, Little Dialect. Um, anyone who knows Paul knows the work of Little Dialect, they'll know how influential he is um, in Irish hip-hop. Um, inspiring people, being inspired, an amazing creative um, who not only is in hip-hop but also in acting. Um, you will probably know him or have seen him in the Irish cult classic Carbo Grand Gangsters alongside John Connors um, and also I didn't know but uh, he apparently does um, a lot of creative writing, writing plays, writing films, short stories, a whole lot so we got a little insight into his world and of course he made me cry. Is anyone going to not make me cry on this podcast? Um, but we had a really really good chat and he is an absolutely incredible character and um, brilliant person so so happy he was able to come in. Um, so without further ado Enjoy episode 24 of The First Exchange with Little Diana. Paul Allrice, Little Dialect, That's welcome right. to The First Exchange studio. Thanks for having me. No problem. Fiji water and all. I Don't know. Don't fuck around yeah. up here. <laughs> this is a new thing that you did. They didn't get that last year. This is a 2020 thing. First, right. first episode back. I love it. Um, it's tap war though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not. I'm joking. It's joking. Um, no, what's the buzz? I definitely broke a seal there. It's definitely legit. Yeah. <laughs> I just try not to make all the other people feel jealous. They didn't get a few water <laughs> yeah. handed to them. Special teams for special people. Ah, I'm you telling know? you, kicking <laughs> off the year in style. We don't go in halves here. Good to have you in. Yeah, great to be in. Yeah. We missed you before Christmas. Yeah. For everyone that uh, was missing the final episode last year. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I didn't do we it. We were meant to have Paul in, but you were, it was Christmas week. Yeah. I know. Uh, you know, t there's a strange thing that happens when the, it, it 
potential cold mixes with the severe hangover and I'd just yeah. be sitting here talking show you. I mean I will be doing that today anyway but we I'd, will. Be, <laughs> I'd be finding it hard to even talk show you, you know? Yeah no it's good though because what I was saying to you when, when we came in here is that the break now I'm really excited like I'm always excited to come in and do an episode but because I've had that little break off over Christmas I was like oh I can't wait to get back to work now yeah, and yeah. get you in so um, it's good but let's kick off Little Dialect a lot of our, our listeners, because we've a lot of a crossover audience from Fight Connect TV, so a lot of people will have known your music. I know any time I've p- tagged you in anything or put up anything, people have been like, he's unreal, he's daddy, his tunes are brilliant. Um, and I know you do a bit yourself out in SBG Charleston. Yeah, well, as I was saying, I've been up there in a few weeks now <laughs> and uh, trying to get this album across the line and I'm dreading going back. Cause well... It's going to be tough. Absolutely. Well, look, we'll talk about your uh, mixed martial arts career in a little bit. But um, for our, our listeners that might not know too much about you, um, who is Little Dialect? Uh, that's a good question. I haven't haven't ever actually <laughs> thought about that. Brat, <laughs> uh, first and foremost, that would be the main one. Um, and then a little bit of sort of everything on the side, you yeah. know. Um, bit of acting, a bit of writing in other shapes and forms but I think he'll probably be the, the main thing you know mm-hmm. How did you get started? Uh, it's sort of always it's, it's hard to pinpoint that one specific um, event one specific incident that sort of hooked me in do you know what I mean it's been it's always been there I've been listening mm-hmm. to to hip hop from a very young age um, and I remember even writing poetry. Like, I always had this story in my head that I don't know what I got into it when I started doing stuff, but then I remember my mother even telling me, you know, you're writing stuff before that, you know? So it was, it was definitely sort of always there. But when it's when it sort of became a reality mm. uh, or even a, a sort of more, um, rather than just being me messing around writing, when it sort of became a little bit more serious was when I moved from Cabra up to Blanche and... Mm. There, there was a lovely little place called Farawaga in Blanche that all the lads who I hung around with in Blanche were going to after school every day. And I was playing football a lot back then, so I didn't really get down with them an awful lot. But there was there was one day they were heading down and I said, ah, I'll go down and see what it's like. Because they, they had this thing called uh, downloading on the internet, you know what I mean? <laughs> And uh, like we knew what it was, but we didn't have broadband. It was like dial-up yeah. connection. Yeah. We had broadband down the studio and all that, or like the primitive version of it. Yeah. And so we went down, and they had it. They were only at the putting in a, a recording studio, and I went in with um, two of the lads, Daz and Rio, and the lads were recording songs. And I remember Dara had a terrible song called uh, "Compton's in the House," and they were all putting on brutal American accents and. <laughs> Uh, he was like, write a verse on that for the crack, right? And I was like, no, I'm writing a verse. Fucking writing a verse. Yeah, and I was yeah, like, no, yeah, write yeah. a verse, go on. So I wrote it <laughs> and recorded it. Just buzzing around, just pricking around, nothing, thinking nothing of it. And then he was like, right, come in and listen back to it before he closed the studio. And I remember sitting there and hearing myself back. And I was like, it, it was like one of those... Uh, Eureka moments, do you know what I mean? It, mm. it wasn't about hearing myself back. It was just a, this thought that something I do could be somewhere else forever. Yeah. It was like a, a, a sort of a legacy thing. Mm. And I've been doing it ever since then. Yeah. Uh, that's, much that's, to my detriment. Yeah, no, not at all. But that is um, 
a very important moment in terms of like you're saying Eureka aha moments like where you could be like how old are you at this stage? I'd say it would have been about 15 maybe 16. So listen to think that at 15 years of age you could have had something that triggered you or led you onto this path that you've been on then for you know decades later or whatever do you know what yeah. I mean um, and to recognise that at 15 as well is a huge thing a big thing that I always talk about on the podcast is life purpose and you know do, do you feel that you were put here you know and it kind of goes back to your belief systems and what they are but do you believe that you were put here for a specific reason and have you found it? Is that what you're here for? You know, um, it could be hip hop. It could be your, your writing. It could be spreading a message. It could yeah. be getting a point across. It, you know, there's so many different areas that you could go into. But when you look back at it in yourself, do you feel like that is something that you were kind of put here to do? Yeah, it's it's definitely felt like a vocation. And, you know, seeing the... Because I announced the toured album you know the first two albums I did were sort of um, sort of a cult following yeah. almost with them you know what I mean they never broke into the mainstream or anything like that but they weren't intended to do that but just this mad cult following and since I did them two I went on and did two other albums that were a bit more experimental and uh, people were always like oh you need to do a part three because that was always the plan you know mm-hmm. and more so since I said I was doing that and seeing the impact it's had on other people because with me it's very hard to see it as a vocation because like as you know yourself when you're pursuing art and that's in any way creative or mm. you know recru- requires a bit of an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit you constantly doubt yourself and you're constantly oh, yes. up in arms with bills and you know all mm-hmm. that type of stuff so that's tainted a lot of it for me I've never mm. really had the chance to sit there and go yes this is what I'm meant mm-hmm. to be doing because Everything in society is telling me this is not what I'm meant to be mm-hmm. doing. But when I see the imp- the impact the albums have had on other people and the way they react when they say I'm mm-hmm. doing an album or whatever, then, I, then it feels like it, it's more yeah. of a vocation, you know? Do you feel that, um, in your opinion, that that struggle that all kind of creatives have um, or people who are, I'd say, entrepreneurs are doing things for themselves, going against the grain of what society has sort of indoctrinated us all to be or to do. Do you feel like that is a necessary component to creativity? Do you think that yeah. if it was really easy for you to wake up in the morning and say, um, you know, let's, for example, while the, there's some grant that the government gives you to be a musician and you get a wage every week just to create and you, you put in something where, oh yeah, I'm writing 20 songs this week, great, well, your grant gets, gets processed. Do you think that the dynamic and the sort of creative sphere would be as great as it is if there wasn't that sort of struggle, um, yeah. not only in, in the artist's environment, but, you know, in their sort of own mind as well? Yeah, I think, yeah, you have to have that. You have to have a struggle, but I think I've had mine four times over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like That's where I am. Well, it's my struggle about yeah. the end. <laughs> and it gets to the stage where it's like, there comes a point in time where you're like, I, I, I've, I can almost pinpoint the moment where I was like, all the constant striving and mm. and uh, and struggling to to balance normal life with doing this, with pursuing this, uh, I can pinpoint the moment where I feel like I sort of crossed over a threshold where anything from this point in is just draining me now. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I've just had to stop 
planning and take it just day by day and mm. not think too much about the future like that's unfortunate um, which is hard for me because <laughs> and i think for most people who yeah. are doing what we're doing um as you say something that's a little bit mm. entrepreneurial or a little bit outside the box it's very hard to not plan mm. you know what i mean because yeah. you're, you're constantly thinking about future security and mm. things of that nature so it's gotten to the stage where i'm like right if i'm gonna keep doing this i have to stop thinking about what the outcome is going to be and yeah. just focus on the actual process mm. and it's hard to do but i've done it with this album and it's the only thing that's gotten me through the album mm -hmm. to be fair like because if it was planning and plotting what was going to be happening in the future it would have overwhelmed me i wouldn't have been able mm. to do it you know it's very interesting words overwhelming that you use there because even what you're saying it sort of goes back to that you know um I'll be very big on spirituality, very big on mindfulness, being present, not letting the future, you know, to a degree you can think about the future and plan for the future, but, you know, consume, being consumed of the future, it just takes away the present moments and you yeah. lose. And I found myself for many years having these wonderful experiences and then looking back on them in hindsight and going like, why didn't I, like, that was deadly. Like, that yeah, was yeah. brilliant. Why wasn't I having an absolute ball at that time? But I was just too consumed with next, you yeah. know, something better, what's happening. You know, I was never able to sit in the present moment and just enjoy everything for what it was. So in that kind of process of you doing that and writing the record and, um, you know, being more present, was it something that you actively, like, did you have a daily schedule or is it just something that you said, right, I just have to not think about it? Like, how did you put yeah. it into action? Something to, just definitely not thinking about it and mm -hmm. uh, living day by day. Um, yeah, just, just focusing on, on what I'm doing this weekend mm -hmm. and not thinking about the sort of long the long term mm -hmm. goals and, and plans with it you know um and yeah it's uh, uh, as i say it's it's i definitely uh try and employ a lot of mindfulness and, and stuff like that myself but i get a lot of that from the process mm -hmm. of writing anyway it was just, and and that's when i'm in that mind state most which is what i love about it but it it's sort of like it's stuff you have to think forward with, you know, like, mm -hmm. am I going to be here in a year or two to still have this album, you know what I mean? Because yeah. the rental situation's always uh, in mm -hmm. insecurity and you have to sort of say, well, like, Oz is always on the cards, you know what I mean? It has been for, for mm -hmm. a while and realistically, you don't want to spend, you know, two years of your life focusing on an album because it does be quite time-consuming mm -hmm. when you probably should be saving up to book a flight you know what I mean yeah. stuff like that so I've had to say right I'm just doing this album and I'll figure out what the fuck I'm doing after this album yeah. after it and so it was more more so that I, I get the mindfulness and the, and the spiritual buzz definitely when I'm mm -hmm. when I'm in the writing yeah. zone you know and when you're in the writing zone like what is your creative process are you someone that um, when you say, right, I'm going to do an album, is it you go and you say, right, I'm going to write the album now and, and you take, you know, X amount of time to do it? Or is it that you're constantly writing and then you go, okay, I have like 15, 20 songs that are album worthy. Let's put something together. Like, how does it work for you? Uh, for me, I, I know a few musicians who do do it like that. They write like 15, 20 songs, but I wouldn't waste much of mm -hmm. the songs I use, you know. If I, if I get into it, sort of rhythm with a track and I write something I tend to keep it yeah um, because it's it's a different form like with, 
with other because of what I do is hip hop, like a lot of people they're writing song ideas, like chorus ideas over a bit of music and mm-hmm. they might add in a little bridge or whatever. Pre choruses and stuff like that. With me it's like the verse comes forth, so once that's done it's it, the track is pretty much mm-hmm. set then, you know. Um but funnily enough this is the first album that I have excess. It took me a while to get back into the the zone with this album, mm-hmm. you know. The first two or three tracks I wrote for it I thought were going to be on the album and then just I just hit the which always happens during the process of an album I hit this uh, just after the halfway point where you start writing all the best shit and it's just like <laughs> flowing out yeah, and you're like yeah. oh well none of that's going on the album <laughs> yeah, now you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. and that's still happening now I'm yeah. still sort of in that it's just starting to slow down now mm-hmm. and I'm like I, I, I want to keep going because mm-hmm. you want to strike while the iron is hot but yeah. th- there comes a time where you have to go right I can't just keep writing yeah, yeah, <laughs> I have, yeah, to, yeah, I have yeah. to put it out you know um, <laughs> absolutely uh, what do you find yourself writing the most about in terms of topics or think it changes all the time but with this one it was definitely more the, the tone of the LD albums the LD50 albums was a uh, very dark and um mm-hmm. You know, t- talking about sort of the underbelly of the city, you know what I mean? Stuff that doesn't get spoken about, stuff that doesn't really get a spotlight on it. And when I did the second album, and that came out in 2012, and then I tried to do the third one, but it just wasn't there. I wasn't feeling it, you know? Mm. And I think I needed it. It's nearly like a 10 year break since I did the second one. No now. way. Wow. Um, well, about eight, eight or so, but. Um, near enough a decade and I think it needed that mm. because this is the way the series should definitely end you know yeah because um, I've just been playing bits bits and bobs for me friends and then um, one of one of my mates said to me like this is like he's like you've sort of reached the point now where you're almost not as immersed in the stuff you're talking about it's mm. more of an overview and it's a bit more witty mm-hmm. stuff like that you know what I mean like only comes with age and, and doing it yeah. a while and there's certain things I've noticed that um, because of the two albums in between like one of them was like a more spoken word album and I've realised that I'm more comfortable with space on this album you mm-hmm. know letting the letting the music breathe and bouncing in and bouncing out and rather than when I was a bit younger doing the first two I was like I have to fill every bar I have to say everything yes. you know what I mean because yeah, you have this yeah. insecurity about people not listening or not being heard or you just yeah. have a lot to say whereas yeah. with this one it's almost like it's more effective if you leave a bit of space in between yeah. an important thing you know what I mean you could take that into everyday life couldn't you yeah, and, and like you say growing up and like having that maturity I think even when you go older you're more comfortable with like silences or like awkward moments or you yeah, know what I mean like exactly. that's you're very not trying interesting to control everything you're sort yeah. of letting things happen naturally a bit as well yeah. that's very interesting um I imagine you have a very creative circle in terms of like the people that you surround yourself with that it is that constant like back and forth of check this out can you listen to this you know how important is that to the whole kind of um you know creation of what you're putting out yeah it's it's definitely important because uh it it's mad the places you get inspired mm-hmm. from you know what i mean it's not always just listening to the same type of music i do like i'd be getting it from mad places lately mm. and stuff i probably wouldn't have allowed myself to get inspiration from yeah. before like theater or something like that you know what yeah, i mean yeah 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 um, yeah no it's 
I'll, I'll be honest, it's rare to go like, yeah. when they do. <laughs> but when they do, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I've always taken inspiration from films. Like, all, there's always been a cinematic vibe to the music mm. I write. And there's always a song I write that has the same name as, and it's sort of on that tone. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like on the new album, there's one called Crush Proof, you know what I mean? And it's sort of, off, it's th- thematically like the Irish film Crush Proof, stuff like that. And there's a few snippets in it. And, um, Very but, cool. Yeah, Have you just, done a soundtrack before? No, no. Would no. you like to? Eh, yeah, well, I mean, it's... We won't turn our nose <laughs> at it. They throw, <laughs> yeah. throw a bunch at it. <laughs> uh, I, I suppose I did a few. I did uh, a couple of tracks towards the soundtrack for Cardboard Gangsters that time, you know. But I'd definitely do a full soundtrack, yes. Yeah. But I'd love to do it for the film I, I wrote, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. But again, that's one of the reasons why I'm back down an album is because I've been writing lots of stuff as well like short films and f- I wrote a feature length mm-hmm. as well but it's a nightmare trying to get anything made because yeah. it's all just red tape and I get it as well like it's it's a lot of money to throw at first time makeup but you sort you, you reach that thing where it's like you're trying to get into a club and it's like regulars only well how do you become a regular if they don't let Absolutely, you in that's yes. the same thing it's like how can they trust it if they don't give you the trust force exactly. to take the money you know it's all about risk. Someone has to take the risk somewhere. Yeah. I think, <clears throat> you know, and it's easy for me to say because, like, I'm not in that position of power or with money or whatever, but I always say, like, it should be someone's... It should be duty. You know, it should be your duty of care. If you have come up in that world and you've now, quote-unquote, made it, you, sh- you have to give back. I know you don't yeah. have to, but you for, for your... your, your, your um, I don't know, just for your soul. Do you know what I mean? You have to you have to bring up the people that came up with you if they haven't. You have to give them a leg up and you have to look after the future that are coming yeah. up as well. Do you know what I mean? That's, it's, that's funny you say that as well because there's a young lad, Graham Thompson, on the new album and um, he's uh, he's only young but he's he's quality, you know, and I heard him and I was like... Shit. I have to, I have to, get, I have to, no, because it, it is the toured album, and I was like, I need to give a, a sort of opportunity for a younger yeah. MC. And I, yeah, I was yeah. looking out and listening to a lot of the younger lads, and I was like, I don't know if they, you know what I mean, that fair play to them doing that team, but I don't know if I'd throw them a slot on LD, you know what I mean, yeah, on LD yeah. 50. And then I heard him, and I was like, that's that's the one, you know what I mean, he's getting the tour, so. What yeah. was it about him that made him made it so special for you, or that you recognised? You know what? It was that phase, and he sort of he he influenced me to start writing this album as well. So it's funny because it's it's all cyclical, you know. Because I I told him that I was like, he added me on Instagram or something like that, and uh, he tagged me in one of his videos, and he he's a little cocky fucker, you know. So he tagged himself. <laughs> he tagged him. He tagged himself. He tagged me in one of his videos and said, "You love this," you know what I mean? Like just telling me I will. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had to listen to it, and I was like, "Well, he's not fucking lying. This is quality." Because <laughs> a lot of the younger lads come up and they're, they're eager to. Well, I didn't put out any of my early stuff. The first yeah. thing anyone heard from me was my first album, but that was like incubating for about six seven years you know yeah, what i mean yeah. a lot of the younger lads it's too easy for them and they just want to they want um you know they want the the baked cake without going out and buying the flower first you know what i mean yeah. and they're skipping that process mm-hmm. and it shows and if they're serious about it and they stick with it they're gonna look back and regret those early tracks yeah. you know so when i heard him the stuff was like super polished already and um I'm a big fan of multi-syllables, you know. I think anyone can run uh, 
door with floor, but you know, he's bouncing it to four or five syllables, you know what I mean? Yeah. Angle of approach, dangle from a rope, you know what I mean? Stuff like that, but but see, it's so uncool. I'm like, sing us, yep, here we go. But just that, it's just a more technical rhyme scheme, and it's harder to do when he's maintaining it the whole way through the verses, which is what I used to do when I was starting. So I heard a bit of the younger me in there as well, and uh, and just hearing the fun he was having doing it because he's just throwing up these videos, freestyle and stuff, Mm. and just seeing the fun he was having it because I was sort of a bit a bit weary of it you know I was a bit tired of it and hearing the buzz he was having off it was a bit infectious and I was like I have to get I have to get the pen out again he right. sounds dead what's his name again let me write him down Graham Thompson Graham Instagram I think his name is on, on the gram he throws up some uh, slick freestyles but uh, might be good to get him on yeah, no chat sure. yeah. get him in here what do you think it is about what you're saying about that dynamic of like the the, the youth culture and the up and comers where you're like you know, maybe they still have a little bit of time to go before they're kind of at a, a stage where people like you of your caliber are like, that's fucking deadly. Do you think it's because we have that Insta culture where it's like you can just get a SoundCloud, you can just throw up a video on Instagram, like everything is overnight. Whereas when you were coming up, it's like that you're in the Faroga, is that it? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Or you're in your mate's gaff with a tape recorder and you're taping yeah. over tape or whatever it is. Well, it wasn't that old, is it? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Fisher we Price, a little on, Fisher Price thing. <laughs> we were on vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was still, it was definitely still uh, tape to tape. CDs. It was CD, it was CDRs, but even that's so old. Yeah, now, yeah, you know yeah. Because I mean? everything's just uh, digital now. Yeah. But, uh, but you know what? Do you know what it is? Part of it as well is it's their fault as well because we we've made it acceptable and and cool to rap now yeah because that was one of the big things that kept me from putting my stuff out i told no when i was doing it you know because I, I knew the abuse that was there <laughs> that was coming was it abuse because hip-hop and rap was sort of like this americanized sort of culture yeah and it was yeah. like black culture and you weren't part of that well it was it was black culture but ironically it was eminem you were always compared with you know what i mean which is right yeah so annoying especially when you're you know crafting gems like Royal Flush or, or, or Nasir Jones or one of these and then you can get compared to Eminem you know? <laughs> uh, did you ever have bleach there? no no I wasn't a massive Eminem fan I, I, I never really um, I don't know there was something a bit he was I always saw him as sort of like a rock emo spin off of, of hip hop, you know what I mean? No, I did yeah. enjoy it and I and I appreciate it and he and he was technically brilliant, there's yeah. no denying that. Yeah. But just that sort of grungy Nirvana esque buzz. Now I, I I got into that type of music later on. Yeah. But at the time I just associated with that I was more into the the more sort of slick street stuff, you know. Like who? Nasir Jones, for example. He'd be yeah. Nas would be uh, he'd be me go to um, yeah. early Nas obviously um, just hearing him for the first time his style was so poetic mm-hmm. um, I didn't really see a difference between that and like stuff you'd hear in ballads and stuff like that yeah. except it was it was in a contemporary setting you know mm-hmm. but he just had this vivid imagery um, and just because it was New York there's such a similar because the artists have influenced New York so much there's little bits of slang and also it's enshrouded in cloud 300 days of the, of the year like here so yeah. there's a sort of depressed almost melancholic feel to New York music mm. that you get music over here as well because it's the, you know it's similarly it's situated similarly on the um, on the equator and that's so um, 
and then I just went super purist with it and hip hop hipster with it and I wouldn't listen to art anyone else knew, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, just all, all the super underground stuff like yeah. Royal Flush and Mike Geronimo and stuff like that. So, um, But you grow out of that and then you're like, you know, you can appreciate yeah. there's a time and place for everything, you know. Do you find as you're growing older that you're able to listen to more eclectic music like jazz, like folk? Like what all these different genres. Yeah, well I always had I was always mad into soul. I always loved soul music. Again, just because I had that that sort of street essence to it, you know what mm. I mean? The sort of a even the, the rappers is just talking about the sort of a, a sort of a street working class vibe off of it, you know what I mean? That you, you mm -hmm. can almost hear like even a Marvin Gaye stuff, like you can hear the street in it almost, you know, you know that yeah. way? Um and it's timeless. It's yeah. it's it really is. It's like you have your 80s music and you have your 90s and some of the stuff sounds very up the decade, yeah. but stuff like that, it was, it was it was just timeless, you know. But I started to explore a bit, especially with the last, with Hungry, the last album, which was quite an eclectic album. And uh, Dave Prendergast produced that one. And, you know, we were listening to a lot of stuff. He was playing a lot of stuff that he'd be into and I just mm. went super off the wall with the stuff I was listening to with yeah. that and getting inspiration from everywhere, you know, but it was good to do that, but it's it's nice to be, I know people always talk about comfort zones and you need to step out of your comfort zone and, you know, that I think that's true, but I think also you do your best stuff in your comfort zone because mm -hmm. that's the reason it's your comfort zone, Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's good to be back in, in that zone anyway. Absolutely. Do you have a favourite lyric? Uh, of like... Mine or, or well, <laughs> no, I've, oh, well, I've, let's do yours and then do someone else's. Definitely in hip hop, do you say lyric? What is it? Do you have I a favorite rhyme? No, a lyric, yeah, lyric yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, teach me, <laughs> teach me, teach me how to be down in the lingo. I suppose that, that Nas one was talking about New York State Mine part, part two would have been the first verse that I heard that was like, uh, and he has a line that's like, uh. Broken glass in the hallway, bloodstained floors, neighbors look at every bag you bring through your doors, lock the top lock, mama should have cut me to the radiator, why not? And where to save me later for my block and my cops, hookers strolling up or hookers strolling off the streets or something like that. But just the the imagery like Amazing. neighbors looking at you bringing your bags, that stuff you know what I mean? I was going, Yeah, that's that happens yeah. like Yeah. And it's yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. because, you know, it's like and the broken glass and all that, it's like, it's it's working class shit and it's universal, do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like there's, there's impoverished areas all over the world and it's the same yeah. shit everywhere. You and know? it paints a picture and it's, you don't yeah. have to be in there, but you can you can see it, you exactly, know what I mean? And yeah, you can, you can yeah. feel what he felt in that moment yeah. when he's writing that, you know? Definitely, and you know, it's, um, it's a testament to his uh, poetic ability, obviously, but as I say, there's also that sort of New York sort of, depressed he's talking about pubs and all in it there's a lot of the slang talking about uh Irish cops in it and stuff like that and mm. it, you're just yeah it it, it 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 was almost like um hearing someone talking about what you were living mm. and and that i'd never heard that before because the closest you get is like the uk or whatever but yeah. even when i was growing up I didn't really know much uk hip-hop so when i heard that i was like well Someone needs to do that here. You know mm. what I mean? Someone needs to tell air stories in the same way. Yeah. And so that would have been the one that really kicked it off for me, I think, you know. Do you feel or do you recognise your own legacy somewhat? 
and what you've created. Like obviously legacy is like, the, you know, your legacy will go on and you'll continue to um, build on your legacy, but to where you've come from today, because a lot of, you know, the new and up and comers, people like versatile, do you know what I mean? Like they're such at a, at a, listen, they're huge at the moment and they divide opinion, but even they would say that they would have grown up on you and you've been a massive inspiration to them, you know, and oh, you've all these other new guys that are coming up, whether they're gone mainstream, whether they're still kind of coming up through. Um, but they all say little dialect, Paul, mm. like they, we wouldn't be here without him. Like he's incredible. Yeah, like, I've do you recognize that? Them, yeah. yeah, I've gotten a lot of love after definitely. And, uh, you know, the only thing I get annoyed about is when they say pioneer. I'm like, lads, I'm only fucking 31. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be giving me that. Once uh, you go over 30, yeah. that's it. You're done. I know it is. And, and, <laughs> and it, it's a, it's a young man's game to, to a certain extent as well. But, uh, no, it's, it, I've definitely gotten that. It's, it's hard to look back again, as you say, I, it means a lot when, you know, you go and do a gig and people mm. are coming up and there's like people have the lyrics tattooed now, which is which is mental. No way, know? wild. That's a big thing to me because lyrics are, that's that's what I go to. Like I, you know, I enjoy a song that's meaningless bullshit every now and then as well. But the thing mm. I always go back to is, if yeah. it has lyrics in it, I'm all over it. You mm. know, um, so for mine to have an impact like that is, is mm. if you'd have said to me. Uh, you know, when I was starting out that eventually that's going to be the case, I'd, I'd have been delighted with it. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately as well. Again, as I was saying earlier, it's hard to appreciate legacy when you're, you are you know, you're looking around and you're saying, well, I'm still sort of in the same boat that I was in when I started out. You know, you, you don't, you're not like any more financially lucrative than you are beginning. Yes. So does that sort of thing going, well, you know, you have to live in this world as well. So, you know, if your legacy, if you're starving because of your legacy, well then, fuck the legacy, Listen, you know what I mean? I nearly stand and clap right now because that's something, exactly what you said there is something that I, like, it keeps me awake at night because so many people say to me, oh, you're doing so well, you've done this, blah, blah, and I'm like, I still can't barely pay my rent. Like, yeah. you know, I'm obviously not doing that well. And then I have to go, well, why are you doing this? Is it be to pay your rent or is it to make money? Like, obviously, we all want to make money, but it's not. It's from a passion that I have to do whatever I'm doing in these creative areas. That's why I'm doing it. And to be able to live off it and to make money off it, that's the bonus. Yeah, do you know is, what yeah. I mean? Yeah, definitely. But then I, I don't know whether, like, you know, how does it sit with you when someone is giving you all this kind of praise and applauding you like does it does it make you uncomfortable or are you like able to sit with it and go yeah fuck it i i've worked hard to hear someone say that to me uh, both I, I, when people say that to me i'm like yeah, but i always feel like i haven't put my best stuff out yet so yeah. i'm always like that's cool but waiting here the next <laughs> one. um a lot i think i'll always have that in me um but i do appreciate it. it's it's a weird one as well when you when you have lads coming along and sort of being financially well off from it or starting to be financially well off from it and they're citing you as an influence that's that can be a weird one because yeah. now here's the thing I've, there's people out there who have uh, definitely went mainstream or, or you know they strive to go mainstream which is great and needs that as well it has to break through eventually that's something I've always uh, committed to not doing you know what I mean and even mm. when I was doing stuff that like there's producers I've worked with who are going, no, let's do something. And 
you know, for Ray, I'd, I'd always half arse it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd make, <laughs> they'd send me a mainstream instrumental and I'd, and, I'd, and I'd talk some shit on it that brings it back down to my level. Do you know what I mean? So at the same time, I can't be sitting here working on like, you know, an underground album, which is definitely what that is. And then think any type of way about, well, I'm not any more financially lucrative because I'm not doing the things yeah. required to do that. And nor do I want to, mm-hmm. you know, I think the hardest thing is trying to balance, uh, time you put into this with time you spend making money in the real world so that you can have time to put into this and I still haven't struck that balance yet and I don't know if I will but uh, that being said I think if you I was thinking about the other day and I think if you'd have said to me 10 years ago just before I released my first album that in 10 years you know you'll Mm. have done what you've done uh, and you know all the extra little bonuses along the way I think could have been fucking happy with that you know so mm. and uh, but as I say it's still my best is still yet to you're not done yes you're not done yes well um, while we're talking about your your achievements um, obviously you mentioned there Cardboard Gangsters was that your acting debut? was yeah yes <laughs> No easy role for your debut, come on. It kind of was, though. <laughs> it was just me being me on camera. Like, <laughs> everyone says it. Like, you didn't act in that at all. No that way. was just you, you know? What uh, was the character you played again? What was his name? Glenna. That Glenna. was John, yeah. Cause, and again, I'll credit to John Connors because I hadn't acted a day in my life and he asked to meet me one day. I met him in KFC and Blanche and he was like, I'm putting you in, a, I'm giving you a, a solid role in me new film and I was like okay I'll give her the bash then he's like no no I saw the two second clip of you acting at the start of one of my videos like it's like literally a two second clip I saw that I know you can act and I was like fucking hell so hang on did you not know John before this uh, well this is going back years like this yeah. is he, when he approached me was about this, that film did, was this your first meeting of him in this KFC yeah yeah 2012 no way yeah, yeah. And amazing he, and he had said I put a tiny little snippet at the start of one of the videos at the start of Get Me Dreams me giving out the will because he's uh, he's he's always promising me he'll show up to a show or a studio day and he never does and things are still the exact fucking same yeah. um, <laughs> but just from that two little second snippet he was he's seeing that and wow so you never know like with the stuff you do you never know what it might lead to you absolutely. know absolutely absolutely um, opportunities it, everywhere right yeah, yeah and then we went and lived in the in, in Darndale for a for a few weeks down it and yeah as I say it was just it was just being me <laughs> did you have an idea when that was filming like how iconic that movie would turn out to no, be no no idea no idea in fact we were sorted there was times me and John McCall I think this is going to be shy <laughs> like there was scenes where we were going but th- you see I wasn't seeing the scenes that John was doing like the, the mad emotional yeah. in depth ones I was only seeing the, the madness, session like, the session I was kind of going oh, I don't know and even he was going there was one or two bits like because you have your back and forth he was having arguments with Mark on set about you know the fucking scene is taking too long and the tensions are high because it was such a small budget and such yeah. a small amount of time and we were just sitting there, <laughs> eating, eating our lunch, going, this film's going to be shit, but fuck it. <laughs> and, uh, and then it went out, and like at the start, it was, uh, I remember the trailer went out, and it sort of polarised people, because people were like, oh, it's glorifying violence, and fucking mm. more, this shit, and, which is a weird thing. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it went out, and 
again, almost like the LD albums, uh, but on a much bigger scale in the sense of it was like, well, I suppose it was commercially, uh, it did well commercially as well, but it was mainly, it's more of a cult thing. Yeah. And I think it'll it'll survive uh, through the years as like a cult film. Yeah, it really is a cult. And it's one of those movies where like, if it's on the telly, you're you're delighted. You're yeah, like, yeah. yes, lovely. And now it's turned into a bit of a thing. Every Christmas they have it on. It's Don't a new mean, Christmas the, film. The new Christmas movie. It's Home Alone, Die Hard and Car Park. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for K9 to well, get revival more, well, and then I'll be there's, sorted. There's plenty of snow in it, to be fair. So <laughs> technically it is a Christmas film. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, um, yeah, brilliant. And you know what? Like, it's... Um, it is. It's a cool classic and it speaks to a lot of people for many reasons, whether it is the set or whether it is people that look out their front door and they see that activity going on or, you know, the bond between friends, yeah, that, that, yeah. The, the, the connection, and the bond between all you lot in that movie was, you yeah, know, definitely. And very I mean, real. It's crazy they don't do more stuff like it because you're seeing the, the, the impact on culture that Love Hay had. And yeah. Then you see that and there's such an appetite for it, but they just don't want to make working class films yeah. or series without mm. them having control of it. Yeah. Which is a fucking weird thing, which is one of the things where I was saying about writing the films, it's hard to get them made as well because yeah. there is a thing, there is definitely a, a sort of a bourgeois thing about art in Ireland, you know what I mean? It's, it's a closed group, it's a closed circle yeah. almost and... It's few they let in, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the unfortunate thing you find yourself in in the country, and that's what I love about music is that no matter what's happening, you can just make it and fuck it out, and people will react to it, and yeah. nobody else can say anything. Nobody else can do a thing about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a you know acting to be quite similar. You're sort of going for auditions, but you're always in someone else's hands. It's down to their decision whether or not yeah. you get to be creative. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's what I love about music is that it's all in your own terms, you know. Um, in terms of the the ex- expansion of writing and your creative writing, did that come from acting? Is it just a progression from writing music in terms of like your, um, your rap? Or was it something that you were a kid and you were in school and you just used to write stories the whole time? Like where did it come yeah, from? Definitely was writing stories and that. But I mean, everyone does so. You know, you you can sort of put the false narrative and say it was always meant to do, it, but <laughs> everyone was everyone did it, you know. Um, but it like one of the things I say is that reading is something of maintained throughout. Like we all read as kids and we mm-hmm. read loads. Well, I like I like I hope we all do or we all did, um, and it's still happening. Uh, whether it's a Kindle or not now, rather than a book. But I used to consume books like, and that's something I maintained all through. Out my teenage years and my uh, adulthood as well, it's something a lot of people grow out of. Mm. So st- that's sort of always, but I've always had a thing like I want to fucking write a book. Of, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. At, at some point, just a, a book of stories or short mm. stories, or whether it's a a book of short stories or whether it's a you know a long work of fiction or whatever it might be. I just always had in my head that's something I want to do. Now again, I know everybody wants to do that, but I'll do it though, you know what I mean? That's yeah. the thing. I'm cheeky enough with my creativity to actually go and fucking do it. Like Yeah. Um but the initial idea came from I had a 
track on the last album called The Old China Man and it was a story about a pub that my uncle used to run and there's like a lot of details about the characters in it and all the old school Dublin heads that used to be around and uh, Joe Clark who's a, a, a CWB management music management you might have came across him before uh, what's his name? Uh, Joe Clark he used to look after the bandits used to look after them back in the day, but... Oh, I do know Joe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Joe's, Joe's yeah, yeah, a lovely yeah. fella. But he basically said, you need to do... You need to write a play about that, like... Or no something way. like that, you know? So I wrote the play, and uh, I was working with uh, the guys from uh, French, Ruth McGowan and Chris Nelson, before he left, and they were, like, giving me a lot of uh, help just sort of shaping it and creating it into what I can be and I just got to a stage where, where I just I had to step away from it you know yeah. what I mean I've, I've written about 30 drafts of it I, t- I need to link up with a director and mm-hmm. someone who can tease it out for uh, dramaturgical reasons yeah. because I, I've never written a play so there's technical things like you know how many characters and should I put all that in one mono you know stuff like that yeah that, absolutely yeah well, that's where I was going with it. I was like, wait, you know, it's it's having the idea and the, the kind of vision of where you'd like a story to go. But it's actually the, what you're saying, the technical aspect of it to get it down on paper and to have someone who's in theatre or TV or film, whatever, to sit down and go, hmm, yes, great. We'll, uh, you know, do whatever with it. Um, so you've just hit it on the head there and saying that you're you might bring someone in to... Yeah, I have to. And, you know, there's, there was a couple of people I was linked with and it was going to happen and then it didn't happen and I just sort of got a bit, oh, fuck it. Again, you're waiting on other people and, yeah. look, everyone's busy. Everyone's uh, trying to make their own ends meeting, especially when they're creatives. I totally understand mm-hmm. it, but it, it just made me want to go back to the album where I can actually finish it and put it out yeah. myself because it can be taxing psychologically when you're writing so much important in so work and you're not seeing the end product that's yeah. one of the things I don't like about it because um, I have a few scripts there now and I know from feedback you know that there's a, the critical part of me will always say well maybe they're just not good enough and they're not, yeah. you know they're not being made because of that, that I'll always play devil's advocate with myself mm-hmm. but I like to think that I know enough people in the industry whose opinion I would value highly who've read it and said no this is definitely good mm-hmm. stuff like just keep with it but again it's it's very very difficult trying to get stuff made um as a as a first time writer in mm-hmm. anything you know so uh, i will get i'll definitely get back to it at some stage but I, I need to just see something finished over the line <laughs> tangible in my hand after putting all those years of work in and then go <laughs> boom <laughs> there you go slam it down <laughs> on the desk the 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 dust comes off the desk I see it now but do you find yourself um in terms of like creativity and just in life in general do you find yourself putting yourself down a lot is that your character are you a bit like am I good enough is this good enough or do you find that you're like are you like that in everyday life and then when you go to do your creative um you know your creative aspect of things do you have a kind of quiet confidence I'm healthily sceptical, I'd say, you know. I'd Explain, na- divulge. Uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely my own biggest critic, uh, yeah. for sure, but I'm confident enough in being my own biggest critic that when I'm, when I'm happy with it, when, I'm, when I've reached a level where I'm like, I can't do any more with this, I'm, 
confident enough that that's that's the best I can get it. That's yeah. the best it's gonna be, and that it is a decent product, and 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 people will will get it. You know, mm-hmm. is that um, something that you've had your entire life? Like, is it something that you grew up with? You know, in terms of was it just like uh, something that you were born with that that's in you or is it the environment that you grew up in like what was home life like was it supportive was there music playing was there you know yeah. give me a sense of like how this all kind of cultivated from when well, you were that's, young that's exactly as you said it was home life it was, I've always had a chip on me shallow or writing you know um, and I think I sort of need it now at this stage you know because uh me, my dad never got it. Like mm-hmm. they definitely never understood it, and pretty much all my family never really got it because they're a very staunch working class family. And ninety ninety nine percent of create, no, I would say ninety five percent of creativity is pricking around, and mm. to them pricking around is you're a lazy fucker, <laughs> afraid of work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yes. <laughs> so we've always had this thing of, and then especially because it's like it's one thing of you're coming out as a singer or as a writer, but when you say hip hop. At a time when no one had done it before, uh, not that no one had done it before, people had definitely done it before, the likes of scary and urban intelligence and stuff, but no one had sort of shown that it could be more than just a, an underground thing, you know what I mean? And I was like, well, I want to do it. And then so, so we were taking on that double uh, weight because not only are you choosing to be a creative in a family that there's no creatives in, mm-hmm. but you're also picking the fucking the, the the most niche creative thing you could possibly pick yeah. in Ireland yeah. hip hop you know what I mean <laughs> so but that's me auntie laughs about it and says well, everything you did you always had to go the hard way yeah, about it anyway yeah, yeah the so, struggle um, so they never got it so I always had a chip on my shoulder and uh, my ma passed away two years ago and just before she passed away Catboard Gangsters was out on the telly and I think that was the thing that sort of changed her mind about it, you know? Because mm. um, she was quite cold about it. Like she, she wouldn't be, I remember coming back from the first tour with um, with Damo and she just says to me, because uh, it was like a little family gathering and I saw that in feeling... feeling on top like of the world, after been on tour right? with Damo Dempsey, yeah, come yeah. on. And my first time as well, you know, going around the world and sauntered in, cock of the walk, and uh, she says... Uh, <laughs> much did you get paid? And I was like, oh, well, like, it wasn't about the money. And she's like, well, you want to start fucking throwing CVs out there? And I mean, even my dad was like, afraid oh, to come on. Like, you know what I mean? He's only in the door. <laughs> He's only in the door and got dragged straight back down to reality. <laughs> but her thing always came, she knew she was sick for a long time. So her thing was always instilling me with, um, instilling me with, with, with the idea that you, you have to make ends meet and if you're yeah. going to be doing this it, it's going to be that harsh you need, you need to be that harsh on yourself with mm-hmm. it you know because um, she was just worrying she was like I'm not going to be here I'm not going to be here long long enough to do it for them so I'll try and instill that in them so I always had the chip on my shoulder in the sense of um, trying to prove to them that no this can this can work you know yes. um, and since she passed away when she passed away the first year I had the worst writer's block of ever. I thought it was done with it. I did a little ret- little false retirement and I thought it was done with it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, was, I told people, no, I'm finished with music and cancelled all the gigs I was doing. And it was sort of because I didn't have anyone to prove that anymore, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? And I, and I, wow. and I was like, where do, where do I get that from now? So if it eventually came back and uh, it came back 
I'd say about a year and a half after that, I was sitting there, I couldn't even listen to hip hop anymore, you know? Um, and then some instrumental came on and what the fuck is this? You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it was like a backlog. <laughs> it was it's just all star flow now. Yeah. I must have written about four or five songs in the space of a couple of days, but um, so like that that had went, and then part of it as well was torn and torty. You know what I mean? It's had a big thing mm-hmm. in my head, and again, stupidly setting unrealistic uh, uh, objectives where I was like, I need to have some type of um, feedback from this financially to let me know that I'm on the right path because I can't be in me fucking Tordy's being broke doing this. Yeah, yeah. So when I hit Tordy and I released the albums, three things happened at the same time. The album went out and it didn't get, I was I was in a weird situation and it didn't get the right push it needed so I didn't get booked for many gigs which is where you make your money back yeah. from, from doing albums. And then hit the Tordy mark and then my ma passed as well so it was like a triple, a Heavy. triple blow, you know. Um, but, it came back then, as I say, a year and a half later, and uh, I, st- I have that chip on my shoulder again. That hasn't went, you know what I mean? I st- yeah. She, she's not there, but I still have to prove it. You know? That's that's um, a powerful statement. That's a very honest, very honest, very powerful statement um, to say that, um, because I imagine when you're in it. And you're hearing it, you're like, shut up, like, I'm, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And in your own head, you're like, they don't understand, they don't understand. And then yeah. when that is gone, you're like, shit, that was what was driving me all along or what that was giving you that little extra spark like, to prove. And I Absolutely, think a lot yeah. of people, they don't have to be musicians or they don't have to be creative. There's a lot of people listening that will listen to this that that will resonate with because I think our parents play a massive part in obviously our development but when we turn into adults and our you know our bar that we set for ourselves in terms of achievement yeah. I know that like I definitely have it with my parents to to this day it's when I'm on like the Elaine show or like something on RTE me mattering go oh, you're doing very well aren't you yeah, but like yeah. she doesn't see the hard slog course, do you know what yeah. I mean and that's that but funny that's what I was meant to say earlier that that's all through the music stuff I've done like the thing with Damo and all and she'd come into gigs and enjoy it, but there'd always be a thing of like, go back to college, really, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'd go on. But you... when Cardboard Gangsters went out on the telly that night, and that was the, that was a turning point, and it was great that we had that moment before she passed away, because yeah. it's something you, you'd sort of hold on to then, but that was the first time that she was in the pub and her mates were coming over her, to her, telling her about how great I was, rather wow. than her trying to tell them. Yeah, that there is the key detail. And that was it, that was it. That, as yeah. you said, like your mom when you were on the Elaine show and all that. Yeah. There's something about... And that's her sisters and her friends ringing her and going, I saw Lydia on the Elaine show. That's what, I, and you exactly I mean? the same thing. And yeah. sometimes they need that external feedback. Because yeah. again, they, you know, one thing I've realised as well is that, like, you sort of revere your parents, but they are just humans, like, you know yes. what I mean? And they are just figuring this shit out as well. Like, yeah, and my man and I were, were only early 20s, like 21 when they had me, so mm-hmm. they hadn't a fucking clue what they were doing when, I was, when they were rearing yeah. me. I mean, they did a great job, but they, they were figuring it out, you know? Yeah, I look, yeah. look at them and say, like, when my dad was my age, he'd like, three kids and a, and a gaff, like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so... <laughs> 
you realise that they're figuring it out. So they overlook you because you're their own child sometimes. But mm. when some when they get that external feedback and someone tells them, oh, he was great, then they see you from an outside perspective almost. You know, yeah. So. Can I ask you, can I ask about your mum? Yeah, yeah, sure. How did she pass? Can I ask where she, she passed? She had a breast cancer. She was, wow. fighting it. Yeah, she was fighting it for 17 years. No way. Yeah, yeah she was wow. forced diagnosed. Uh, she was young when she was forced diagnosed in her 30s. And uh, so something we always knew was mm-hmm. was coming, you know. Um, what was that like growing up? Was it did were were was your mum um, quite open about it and talking about it? Yeah, here? definitely. Yeah. Very young, but very strong. Like very very strong. Uh, just had this mentality because my little sister is twenty one now, but she when she was a. Uh, when she was first diagnosed, I think Lauren was only like six, and she's like, "I'm not going oh, yeah. anywhere till she's fucking till she's reared. Like I'm not. Yeah. That's it. It's that simple." And she died when Lauren was twenty, so, um, or when Lauren was nineteen, so uh, she, she fulfilled that duty. And and even after that, when it came back to tour time, she was like, "I'm I'm just sick of it now." <laughs> you really? know what I mean? Yeah. It's like uh, it's like the tour role, and just like I'm tapping now. That's it. I've had <laughs> enough. You know what I mean? Uh, but she and that's <laughs> she was very logical with it and very yeah. look. This is just a thing I have. She didn't. She never played the victim with it or anything mm-hmm. like that. And I, not to say that there's nothing wrong with people who do because it's a it's a horrible thing. It's Absolutely. a terminal illness. But um, she was just solid with it. Even in our last in our last moment there, she was in the hospice and just lying in the bed and I says, "How are you? I'm pissed off now." And then she turned in paying me bollocks with this and torn in that was it when she said I love you son as well in between yeah. that but that was the last thing she said like that's what she was you just torn in and die like you know what I mean literally that was yeah, it yeah and were you there when she passed yeah, yeah. and were you on your own or was your family no, you? again you know I'd, I'd be healthily sceptical with I'd be spiritual but not necessarily in the in the in the religious sense and yeah. stuff like that but there was a weird moment that happened with her where it was almost like she knew who was in the room and all the because there was loads of people coming and going and there was people <laughs> like my mom was a very polarizing character you know she yeah. spoke our she spoke our mind and <laughs> as you could probably tell from some of the stuff i've said uh, and there was people in, that were coming into the room that she liked more than others you know what i mean <laughs> to be to be polite about it um but <laughs> We were all in the room and people were coming and going and then it just randomly landed that it was me, my brother, my sister, my dad and my godmother, Linda, her sister. And we didn't even realise because like, my uncle had just walked out and, you know what I mean, there was people coming and going. Yeah. We just real and then all of a sudden our breathing changed and it was like, we knew that she was she was gone and it was only when I looked around and I was like fucking hell she knows who was here because she's gone I'm not going <laughs> I'm not going out with any of them fuckers around now was the time so we said fuck it we locked the door yeah so we went and locked the door and uh, then there was a knock at the door and we, oh, don't let any of them in this is it this is a nice moment but it was the the hospice nurse I can't remember her name but she was fucking brilliant uh, with me, my France, Francis Hospice, where she was, and they were just all amazing, you know. Yeah. Like she was crying, hugging all of us when me my died because she did had that, did develop that yeah. little bond. Which you're walking there, you can t- tend to become quite cold. We're seeing it all the time, but yeah. this lady obviously hadn't, you know. Um, but we locked the door. She came in, and then she just went, you know. So yeah. it was like she knew who was in the room. So yeah. 
I say I ha- I'm healthily skeptical, but if you're talking about a, a religious spiritual moment, you know, that mm-hmm. might have been it. Because um, she definitely chose her time when to go, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so, yeah, stuff like that. And again, people say, you know, it, it might have been difficult with the, it's like damnably sword for 17 years, but I feel sorry for people who go out and they get a smack of a train or they, yeah. they die instantly because all the things that are left unsaid. Mm-hmm. One of the things we had, one of the, I suppose, uh, different dynamics we had as a family was that we always had rails and fights, cars we did, but we never let things go unsaid. Mm-hmm. And the next day, it didn't matter, we had a few drinks in the house, killed each other. We wake up the next morning and it's like, do you want a bit of butter on your sandwich? You know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, on your yeah, sausage yeah. sandwich, that we we all forgotten about because you just we just didn't have time. We didn't know when she was gonna get that yeah. phone call. So I had a chat with her like in in her local pub and just thanked her for everything she'd done. And it was one of those. And it was like a lot of people, oh, Jesus but a Christ. lot of and not. <laughs> <laughs> She's getting <laughs> the waterworks are coming on now. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Sorry. Uh, it's Sorry, I have to learn to be more professional on this <laughs> fucking thing. Sorry, keep going. No, please, that's, please, that's please. absolutely acceptable. Uh, oh, she'd be delighted. She was a, you know, a very proud woman. She'd be delighted. Oh, I'm still crying about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's we. we I, I got to, uh, and I know it. It is sad, but it's a beautiful thing because mm-hmm. I got to say. I got to lay everything out on the table yeah. that night and say everything I needed to say and thank them and everything like that. So we kind of knew it would be our last Christmas, you know. And uh, and so that's an awful lot of people don't get that, you know. Yeah, an what, awful lot of people don't get that. Like, I can't, what do you say? Oh, well, the first thing I asked her was, because uh, <laughs> when I hit like my early 20s, she was very harsh on me and she was like, you need to get out. And the rental market was difficult and I was doing music and... You know, she was like, you need to move out. And I moved out and then I was living out and then I moved back in. And uh, then she says, she was in the height of it then and I moved back in because it was at the, uh, being living with a girl and that. And she was like, you fucking came back. You only did it to come, come back here because it's handy, you know. Uh, and I was living back there and I was back in college then for a while. And then when she got sick again, then. And then my granddad moved in because he was sick as well and she ended up looking after him. And she just came to me and she's like, look, I can't afford for you to live here anymore. You have to go again. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. like, you have to. And I was like, right, I have to go, I have to go. And I moved out. And I've been out ever since, like, but... I, I remember saying to her, like, did you choose to be... Because it's only... It was only then I started to realise why she was doing everything she was doing because mm. my brother's mental and he's living over in Australia and anyone who knows me knows Dane, my evil twin, John Connors calls him. <laughs> and uh, Dane is nuts, but she was not like that with him at all. Like He was living there up until he went to Australia last year. And I always, like, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be sitting at home in the apartment scraping to get our beans and fucking sausages and whatever else was in the freezer. And go on to Instagram, and there's him throwing up the mail he, he does that they're making for him. And I'm going, fuck this, you know? <laughs> but he was a different person. Yeah. She pushed me out knowing that I wasn't going to hit the deck. I wasn't. I was going to, you know, as the cliche analogy goes, yeah. pushed me out and there she knew I was going to fly. And he, he probably wouldn't have, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I asked her, I was like, did you do that? Like consciously, or was that just a subconscious team because it's only now where 
I appreciate all the stuff. I, at the time, obviously, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why am I getting this unfair treatment? Do you know mm. what I mean? But it's only now I realise I needed that level of independence because it 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 did instill that work ethic in me. And mm-hmm. if there's one thing I say about wherever, like art the subjective, people can say whatever they like about it. But one thing I say is that you know I I now I have a a solid work ethic, you know. Mm. And that came from her. And I just asked her, was that a conscious decision or was that subconscious? She was just, she, she just said, I, it, it just felt like the thing to do, you know what I mean? It, it was yeah. just purely instinct. And she was like, I just knew you'd be grand, you know what I mean? Yeah, I knew you. Yeah, yeah. Now, I didn't tell you I was crying when you left. <laughs> I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't tell you that. <laughs> but stuff like that, but that's how <laughs> funny she is, you know what I mean? She'd be very, yeah, very yeah, strategic yeah. like that. <laughs> um, and then she was young as well, you know, she was only 52. and. So like there was only twenty one years in between us really. So we never really had a mother son bond. It was yeah. like she was my mate, you know what I mean? That yeah, was always the, yeah, and yeah. so just say, saying stuff like that to her and then well, when she told me it was a you know, a instinct thing, I just thanked her then just saying, yeah. Well, thanks for uh giving me the push. I obviously know mm. now that I need it then, you know. So little things like that. Um and then we had chats about the future, you know, we were sitting there and we were trying to figure out who in the family is going to go off the head, <laughs> who was going to use her death as an excuse to go on the tear. <laughs> and uh, where is Roy? Well, we, we got it completely wrong. <laughs> we won't get into any details of it, too personal, but don't hang anyone uh, on this show. Uh, I doubt they'll listen to that, and I do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of them ones. So uh, no, we go. We we both got got completely wrong. But we thought we actually thought it was going to be my brother because he was the, and she was like, no, it's not. She's like, I know you're going to be grand. She was like, I think Dan will be alright, you know. And he surprised yeah. us all when he when he pissed off over to Australia, you know. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, just stuff like that. I'm laughing about what was, and I I remember saying, right, well, I need to. Ask you then, whoever does go off the head, I'm asking you now permission to cut them off without guilt. Because yeah. I'm not dealing with that, <laughs> shit. And she was like, God, oh, why would you be dealing with it? Yeah. Fuck them if, yeah, they, if, yeah, they, yeah. if they use me as an excuse, you know? Yeah. So stuff like that, you know, if we we were able to trivialise it and we'd yeah. be having just normal conversations about it. Like her, her whole approach and her whole mentality towards death was, um, like if we have half of her bravery and sort of nonchalant stealing or I'd be happy with that you know yeah well you definitely do because you that strength in you comes through do you know what I mean like we're even just sitting here just hearing you talk about like your life you know you have yeah, yeah. you just emit a strength in it where it's like that's why I was talking to you about like confidence and because you emit like a strength confidence as sure as like a surefire not surefire knowledge on what you're talking about, you know what yeah. I mean? Well, I suppose that comes from just that thing of like, you know, obviously I'd, I'd, I'd be self-critical and stuff like that, but I know how limited time is. Yeah. It's always, it's time is the ever-present thing with me, so it's like, uh, it's you don't have time to not be confident. Mm-hmm. That's the way I see it, and I think yeah. that's a, if there was ever a mantra to throw, to throw up on me wall, you know, or to, or, you know what I mean? Sticker on the gravestone. No time to not be confident. You know what I mean. It's and a that's good one. It. Because I think you can be when you start to fall into that self-consumption and doubting yourself yeah. and worrying about it. And it's a, it's never end. You get lost in that shit. Like I, I think about the time. I'm glad I spent my early years uh, 
being like that, but I feel like I'm catching up on that now yeah. because I've spent an awful lot of time in my own head, you know what I mean? Yeah. And now I'm trying to spend as much time just out of it and utilising it, not literally yeah. out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, easy now. <laughs> Mind them words, but, choice words. <laughs> but just, you know, yeah, trying to, and, and that all boils down to like living in the moment more than not focusing yes. too much on objectives. So it all, mm. it all comes around, you know. Have you figured out or do you have, what is your understanding of happiness? Uh, I I read this thing years ago. It's a it's a it's a Buddhist quote. I'm nearly sure, and it's about trying happiness is a wave in the sea that's crashing and trying to capture trying to capture it's just one of those little waves that's breaking, and all the other waves are the different emotion and trying to hold on to happiness is like trying to catch a wave. You mm. know what I mean? You have to just let it all flow over you. Um. I'd be more trying to chase the feeling of being content. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that's a more important feeling because I'm a bit of a depressive anyway, so I get the odd little burst of happiness, but then <laughs> the rest of it is pretty much melancholic and, and, and yeah. dark, swirling, ominous clouds. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the, just the feeling of being content and... Um, being content with not being content. I know that sounds yeah. like a paradox, but... Well, where do you find your contentment now? Uh, living day to day, definitely. And, and I, I'm getting... I always get out of music. And a big thing for me is is finishing the project. Like, that's, as I was saying, mm -hmm. with writing the other stuff, like films and stuff like that. It's, I don't know how... I'd, I'd, I'd have to be seeing the end results of the work I put in mm -hmm. that send me off the head so definitely not off that but like when I have the album in my hand I'm sitting mm -hmm. there and then it's a weird thing because you feel a feeling you get that feeling of uh, being content but then you also get the feeling of like oh well it's over now as well you know what I mean yeah. so it's I, that's what I say when I say being content with not being content is is that it's always going to be a chase. That's what creativity always is. Yeah. You always feel like your next thing is going to be your best thing. Mm -hmm. So just being cool with that, which I think I am now. It's my fifth album, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I'm pretty much going to be going to be yeah, doing it for a while, you know? Um, Absolutely. So just, be, yeah, being more... Enjoying the process more as well, mm -hmm. you know, not rushing the through to get to the f to the finished product. That'd be the main one. Unreal. Well, before I let you go, I will not leave you leave until you spit a lyric of your own, your favourite one. We got your favourite of someone else. Uh, I'll do a verse, will I? Yes, please do. Um, right. I'm trying to think now. Oh, Can yeah. I record this? Can yeah. I video it? Always about this content. I won't hold it so it doesn't look. Tell spit, me, man. Spit it. <laughs> Is that what you say? <laughs> Hit it. Drop it. Drop it. Don't, I don't even know. I don't know if you say that, but. Uh, me ma said I only wanted to sing for the same reason I got the softest of skin. Because I wouldn't know a hard day at work if it was clocking me chin with its dominant limb. Thanks, ma, the way I admit. I lost every job I was in. 
It wasn't all just smoking pollen with Jim. I told her writing helps give this world a positive spin and makes it not seem as grim. See, yesterday I looked around, me boy was beeping, shouting hop in with this ominous grin. Like, have a look at this Betsy that I bought on a whim, cause he's pushing folk rock like Roger McGuinn. Even though the old school code has gone with the wind. Even though the old bill may be plotting a sting, and of a blow they could blow his door off of the hinge. And if they can't get him, then they'll be clocking his kin. He's well aware of all the problems it brings. Fuck it, could get a smack of a train. And no one's saying it's not a horrible thing. But it's hard to comprehend it when you're proper and prim. See, where we're from and empty pockets of sin, even the Bible says the prophet is king. That's why you see folks without a pot to piss in, rocking a fist full of sovereign rings to show the world the situation is and boxing them in. Life gives you lemons, go get yourself some tonic and gin and fill that shit up to the top of the brim. Doesn't matter if your sorrows can swim. Me, myself, I'm cleaner than a hospital wing. But me boys are graduating from a college for crims. Cause ain't nobody where we're from going to college and bim. That's why they look at me like, what's the fucking bother with him? Look, I'm the fella in the film when it's a draw at the end and he throws the last shot. Last second on the clock, and the whole world stops, and the ball just bounces off the top of the rim, and he manages to cost them the win. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Holy shit. Yes. Love it. Just, so, just a little, little light work. That is. Thank you so much. That was daddy. Thank no you. No problem. I really appreciate you for doing that. Thank you very much. No problem at all. And thank you very much for coming in. Thanks for having me. That was a deadly chat. It was a deadly chat. Yeah, I really enjoyed yeah. it. Thank it was, you very it much. Was brilliant. Before I let you go, um, the album, what, uh, do we have a release date? Uh, no, but I'm, I'm hoping to get it out late January, okay. start of February, but definitely uh, in and around then. Good stuff. So. Where can our listeners find out more? Uh, Lethal Dialect, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Good stuff. And where can they get all your previous records? Spotify, iTunes, all those, uh, uh. All those good distribution, <laughs> music yeah, distribution. Yeah, so when they're, when they're finishing up listening to this podcast, they can go buy some of your music, right? For sure, yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No problem. Paul Alright, Lethal Dialect. <laughs> <laughs>